All right, it's two o five. Uh, my time, Central Time, three o five Eastern. I guess twelve o five Pacific. Uh, this is Seth. This is Colin Shots. I'm Seth Part. Now I'm joined today by uh, Brooklyn Nets uh, beat writer for the Athletic, Alex Schiffer, to talk about. I don't know, Alex. What do you want to talk about today? Uh, as I said in the pre-show meeting, DeAndre Bembry getting waived by the Nets and uh, now signing with the Bucks. It's a good pickup for the Bucks. Uh, they, you know, that's, I agree. Uh, you know, he maybe a questionable shooter, but he uh, he can't have enough big wings, and the Bucks have no big wings right now, so um, works out well. Yeah, his cutting, his athleticism, uh, his defense, I think, all fit in nicely with Milwaukee. And that's that's really what the people came to hear was breaking down that. No, seriously. Um, so we had originally talked about doing this last Thursday, and um, not to like you know it was obvious in retrospect, but I was like, you know what, maybe not because you might be busy on Thursday. So uh, and that that came to pass, obviously. Um, so um, I don't know. Get big picture thoughts. Why did this happen? What does it mean? Yeah, I. Uh, to, by the way, Thursday to speak to my availability. My my meal on Thursday consisted of a muscle milk, a goldfish box, and uh, a rice krispie treat to keep me uh, to keep me functioning. Um, at least High today school was, was actually, awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It 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 it. I like all of those things, but as my only meal for the day, not as much. Right. Um. I think big picture is just that the Nets are uh, are a mess. I mean, in the year that they traded a, a bounty of picks for Harden and obviously their young talent, you know, none of this has gone according to plan. Uh, you know, there's what less than thirty games left in the regular season. There's no debut date for Jay, uh, Ben Simmons um, or James Harden. Philly, technically, I almost screwed up, but it would have been, it would have been accurate. Uh, Kevin Durant's return, the mandates with Kyrie Irving. And uh, and they still have limited assets to work with. I think they still have a good roster at full strength, but uh, none of this has gone as expected. And while uh, while I don't think the Nets are looking at like a post Celtics trade uh, dark abyss, you know, I, I think they're kind of on the line of of contending versus you know being something away from from a uh, like a house of cards kind of falling down just based on how everything's currently going. So. Uh, crazy few weeks ever since the Harden stuff started. You know, it was kind of funny as a reporter when those initial reports from Shams and Sam Amick came out of, this is hilarious, this isn't going to happen. And then just slowly it it started out as like a campfire and turned into like a, a blaze as to how it all ended. So uh, whirlwind of a few weeks that I'm still kind of recovering from, to be honest with you. This all happened during a 22-road uh, day stretch in 30 days. So a lot, a lot, a lot of going on. What about you? Um, I'm actually surprised you're you're kind of so down on 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 everything there. I mean, I think this was for, as you say, for a lot of things having not gone right. I felt like this was a pretty good rescue. Now, obviously, that that is is sort of projecting some things forward, specifically about what you know when and what Ben Simmons looks like when he gets on the court. But um, I, you know, for everything that you just said about. Um, the difficulties, like this is still a team that is one of the, I still think has uh, amongst the highest championship equity in the league this year. And, yeah. the, and the, the weird thing is these, these, these things can easily both be true. I, exactly. You know, it's funny. Like I, I, I think two, the exact, I think two things can be true. The same. It's funny. I was talking to someone at the game last night um, 
with an organization who said, like, I thought the, the haul they got back for Harden was better than they were expecting, especially with the two picks and Curry and Drummond, both of whom fill immediate needs with a three-point shooting with Joe Harris out and, uh, and Drummond with the rebounding. I, uh, I, I think where you just kind of wonder what could have been is, is that team that they could have had last year while still having all this, these draft picks and flexibility. I mean, clearly it didn't go the way they were expecting and getting more for James Harden than expected is, is still a win, but I, and, and they still have some flexibility. I mean, at full strength next year, if they were to retain Patty Mills, you're talking about, um, you're talking about Durant, Harden, or excuse me, to see, I'm still, I'm still getting used to it. Durant, Irving, uh, and Simmons with Harris, Mills, and Curry. That is a lot of firepower. And also, you think about what they can do defensively. I mean, down low, they have a lot of questions. You know, Nick Claxton's a free agent. Griffin, Aldridge, Drummond. That's kind of where there's some intrigue for me. As to, you know, Dayron Sharp, I think, is the only big that'll be on the roster next year as of today for certain, barring a trade. But um, I, I just think the biggest thing is is, you know, you look at how quickly that fell apart and how tough it's been for them with all these injuries and everything. I think their potential is still very high without question. I think next year, if everyone's healthy, they can be very dangerous. I just think that nothing has really gone right since. So, like, using past history to project forward just doesn't really bode well in terms of optimism right now. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, it makes sense. I, I, how much of that is is sort of colored by the 11-game losing streak? And it's, it's weird because... Um, I almost as an like that, that's done very little to update my opinion of the Nets' title chances. Despite like I, I, I seriously, I, that's going to have to if they were to win the title this year, if they were to even make the finals this year, that that's going to have to be the longest losing streak that any finals team has ever had. I haven't looked that up, but I just I can't imagine a team that's made the finals ever lost eleven in a row in a season. But yeah, they're twenty four and twelve when KD plays, so. Like it's not it's not the actual Nets that that have lost eleven in a row. It, it is kind of like now. Obviously, there's the there's the concerns about when he'll come back and and whether he'll be at full strength and stuff like that. But that's sort of that's almost baked into every team. Like, well, yes, if their best player is healthy, then they have a chance, and if not, they don't. Yeah, I I think the losing streak I think has been twofold. I mean, it's obviously happened when they've been very banged up and when all the Harden uncertainty was going down. You know, Bruce Brown said last night, which to me may have been the biggest indicator we've had since pub- publicly um, of the uh, the Discord. He said, everybody likes everybody now. And I can't help but wonder uh, how specific we could get him on Truth Serum with some of that stuff. But uh, I-, I don't think it's as much of it, because I agree. I still think there's a path for them to go through the finals. I just think, you know... Um, they were sitting here, you know, in mid-February, right before the All-Star break, and there's no, you know, and the Nets aren't big on timetables. I mean, you've worked in the front office before, obviously. You understand um, the pros and cons of putting out a timetable. If you put one out and uh, and things go awry, all of a sudden, you you know, you guys look like the bad guy. But, um, you, don't, you know, there's no evidence right now of the mandates getting lifted. People continue to say, oh, it's going to be March, or people are going to say it's going to be April. I mean, the fact of the matter is just that there, nothing is around the corner as of today to make Kyrie Irving a full-time player. Ben Simmons has yet to didn't say today when he plans to speak, uh, when he plans to um, when he plans to make his de- debut. I- 
and um, and Kevin Durant's return, I think, will be somewhat after the All-Star break, but unsure when. So I, I think it's not as much about the losing streak, but as much as the, the position they're in as a result of it. And, you know, I think right now they're ceiling, as, unless they get extremely hot when everyone comes back, is and keep in mind if the mandate doesn't change, Kyrie has already played more than half of the games he's eligible for between now and the end of the regular season. To me, their ceiling is like maybe the sixth seed if everything goes right. And so they're still looking at a path where they probably have to go through all the top dogs without any continuity with this team as this roster continues to figure uh figure each other out. So I, I just think that as as promising as it can look, best case scenario, like there are still a lot of hurdles that and, and the hole they've been dug in, both as a result of injuries and then some of this hardened stuff that just make for a very tough path forward for them, in my opinion. Then talk about Miami getting Victor Oladipo back. The Bucks have, have gotten some guys with Ibaka and, and Bembry. You know, um, everybody's kind of added to the continuity they've already had while the Nets are still figuring out what theirs is. And you're just at a certain point, you're asking too much of, of Kevin Durant to. When I think he when it, when he's healthy, I still I think he's the best player on the planet right now. Absolutely. But, um, but you know that 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 Swiss Army knife only has so many tools. Um, let, let let's go back a little bit. Um, I I sort of think that the Nets season went awry when you know at the height of of sort of the the November through mid January uh, COVID surge that that hit the league. It, I felt like um, maybe this is 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 sort of a little bit of revisionism, but it almost feels like they panicked a little bit and decided to bring Kyrie back. Because, and I'll, I'll frame it this way: um, Kyrie not playing at all was when I, I said before the season that that's like the second best outcome for them, and by far the worst best out, worst of the three outcomes between him being available, him being not available, was him being half available, and. Um, certainly with some of the reporting that's come out, uh, Jake Fisher had a piece today in, in Bleacher Report that certainly intimated that the that the sort of the, the halftime player thing was, um, if not a precipitating event, then sort of a final straw for for the deterioration of the Harden situation. It feels like the, that decision when kind of every team in the league was going through it, in retrospect, is going to look like, like a, a hasty panic move am i reading too much into that or is that um yeah am am i reading too much into that or is that just kind of pure revisionism i I definitely think you can point to that part of the season and look at as a turning point for sure you know they were in first place on christmas they were making it work with kevin and james playing very heavy uh minutes which i kind of question the sustainability for over the course of a full season um you know, they were getting contributions from whether it was the rookies. LaMarcus Aldridge, I thought, went healthy. He's looked great for them this year at, at 36 years young. Um, I think he's about to turn 37 in a few weeks, actually. Um, you know, Nick Claxton was out for a while, then he came back looking good. But then they have the massive COVID outbreak right at the time that they announced Kyrie will be back part-time. And then really ever since then, it's been this mess of losing and inconsistency and the hardened smoke started to pick up steam. Um, I, I definitely think it was a turning point. You know, I mean, obviously, you know, Kevin Durant's consulted on a lot of the major decisions in the uh, in the organization, and and Kyrie doesn't come back without you know his sign off and everything. So, I I don't know if if 
panic is the word to use, but definitely because, you know, I, I think it was more player driven for Kyrie to come back than the organization. But I, I definitely think that that's when the season changed for sure between the outbreak and, and the timing of that happening right with Kyrie and everything that's happened since. So maybe, maybe not panic, but short sighted. Yeah. Like this, this is, we need this now, but this, the, the, like. this, that's the moment of where I, I wonder if, um, if, the Nets had a uh, a do-over years into the future. If they had a DeLorean, I was watching Back to the Future in Miami. Uh, would they go back and maybe do that part differently? That's what I wonder about. Yeah. I mean, because, again, it just it seemed like everyone's going through it. And, you know, the Nets had a lever to pull that no one else did. But uh, it's sort of the uh, the the Ian Malcolm line from uh, Jurassic Park. You know, they asked if they could. They never asked if they should. And and uh, and again, maybe maybe that's just a, a handy narrative. But it's certainly something that I've that I've sort of wondered about, like since that time. Um, let me ask. Speaking of kind of the Nets organizationally, um, I thought Steve Nash did a really good job last year. He's a uh, I think his his best traits as a coach are some of the things that were he was really good at as a player is sort of his his um, ability to to relate and and like his emotional intelligence. Um, this a lot of this meltdown seems like a personal personality driven thing. Um, yet we haven't really heard much from or about Nash and his role in all this. Um, what what you know. What have you learned about that? What can you tell? What can you say about that? I'm, I'm, I'm sort of fascinated by how that's so a coach who, who really that should be their strong suit, and you know, understanding that with the personalities involved, it might not matter who that is, but still, yeah, it's been interesting with him for sure this year. You know, last year, as you said, it seems like no matter what lineup you gave him, he found a way to make it work, and this year, it just hasn't been the case. You know, they had some of those wins where they won shorthandedly, especially during that COVID outbreak. And I remember thinking to myself, like, man, like, he he just seems to, no matter who's on the team, make get them to play hard and play for him. And, uh, you know, the joke around press row around the time was like, you know, Steve Nash should get a, a lineup of mannequins, you know, to, to play hard for him. So it, it's been interesting to kind of see him navigate this. You know, I, I feel for him in some ways in that, like, he's had to take a lot of bullets from this. At the same time, we're talking about one of the most cerebral players of our time. You know, there's no way he didn't know, not from the COVID situation, but from the personalities he had to have known what he was signing up for. And I, I definitely think that, you know, him being a player's coach and being this positive guy that tries to look at things glass half full, I, I think that he deserves some of the blame for this going the way it has. I also think that he's just had different, personnel from this year to last year they've had more defensive oriented guys you know you talk about the Nets maybe panicking I I think where that is maybe more um evident is you know last year they had all these shooters around the big three or or whatever fraction of the big three you know Jeff Green Landry Shamit Joe Harris was healthy um the you know Blake Griffin was hitting threes last year I think at 38 percent for the Nets um, and this year they have a lot of non-shooter heavy lineups that's made it tough to space the floor. And, I, you know, you talk to people and they'll kind of say, you know, some of this is just the hand we've been dealt be- because of attrition and at full strength, this isn't what we were supposed to look like. But I mean, with him, I, I think that he's 
you know, he he'll talk about, you know, the, their fight and their spirit after dropping a game. And it's just like, you know, what do you mean? They still lost by 20. So it's been interesting to kind of see him tested like this. You know, I, I couldn't go back and look offhand as to what the longest losing streak of his playing career was. But this has to be right up there. You know, he was not a lot of teams that lost. And uh, and it, it's certainly interesting to kind of see what what his future is and, and if it becomes under under further scrutiny. You know, he was saying all last week that the um, the Nets weren't going to trade James Harden. And then once the deal went down, he started to say, oh, you have to ask the front office about that, which to me was was interesting just because, you know, it's it's funny that he was putting on this this firm face and, you know, adamant that it wasn't going to happen when we all saw the reports swirling. And then he just kind of like hid behind a tree when it finally went down. And to me, you, you kind of really can't have your cake and eat it too when it comes to the handling of that stuff. Like, oh, you're, you're this authority and the no one, all this, and all of a sudden you kind of like walk away from it. Like publicly, again, I understand he has to take some bullets and hide some things, but I just thought optics wise that could have been handled better on his end. So he's he's been a fascinating character in all this. And, and given the way it worked last year, the way it has it now, it, it makes you wonder what the what the problem has been if outside of just personnel. It's an interesting point. I'm, I think I will push back on that a little bit. Like I understand what you're saying from the optics standpoint, um, longer term, how much, like I, I think more important longer term is I think that there was, um, the fact, at least to me, it indicates that, that he and, and Sean Marks were on the same page about this. And they were like, okay, we're going to explore this because we have to, but we're going to do it. Even as, you know, as you said, the smoke is gathering, um, even as the, the, the leverage seems like it's moving against us, we're going to, we're going to do everything possible to maintain our leverage. And really, when you look at what they still ended up extracting from Philadelphia for it, I think you have to say that that was successful. Um, I was, you know, I was, when the trade went down, I was frankly surprised how much they got because it seemed like with, with, you know, Harden, you know, I, I, when I think he had, he had, I've, I've had people tell me, he told people that, yeah, I'm getting traded to Philly like a week before it happened. Um, but they were still able to, you know, get two useful players, get future, get pretty good future draft assets. I have to say, um, like having, having the coach be on the team to, to get that done. Um, I think that's a, that's, if anything, that's a good sign. That's again, that's me looking at it from my sort of uh, organization hat. Um, like, what would you say to that? Yeah, I agree. And it, you know, what, what's made this again, you've been around longer than me. There's been so many different reports as to what happened when, you know, if you read Jake Fisher's story today, he said that Durant, you know, waited till like the last minute to really give his blessing on a trade. And if so, that kind of backs up some of Steve's, points about being, you know, holding the leverage and, and kind of putting his foot down with it. Um, and it's funny, you know, people keep talking about how this offense isn't what it was last year and how the Nets miss Mike D'Antoni. This isn't not to shortchange Mike D'Antoni as a coach, but I think if, if the Nets or Steve Nash misses Mike D'Antoni this season, it's not because of the X's and O's and everything, but more of, you know, he's a guy that's been around the block a lot and, you know, is a guy like he's like the gray beard on the bench that or, or in his case, mustache that, 
Nash can go to and kind of pick his brain on things. And you look at who he replaced Antonio with in his opening, Zime Udoka, David Vanderpool, Brian Keefe, you know, Jacques Vaughn, like all these guys are around his age and have kind of have similar experience to him. He doesn't have a guy that he can go to and pick the brain of that that's been around the block as many times as Antonio coaching different markets, different teams, different personalities. So I feel like if there's any side of which, you know, Nash would be missing D'Antoni for some of this. It'd be from the advice standpoint of having a guy like that around every day who we could bounce ideas off of than anything. So I, I agree with you that, you know, the leverage perspective and all that um, makes sense from Steve's perspective. I, I do think that there's there has been something missing this year that he that he had last year, whether that's D'Antoni or just something else, personnel, whatever, that uh, that allowed him to have so much success. They've, I mean, obviously, like, from afar, it seems like, for lack of a better term, the vibes have just been off from from the jump. Um, and I don't, like, you know, again, Jake's reporting was it started in training camp. Was was James Harden healthy coming into training camp? Um, I guess it depends upon your definition of healthy. You know, he had said that he's still getting through the hamstring, but yet he was still in good enough shape to work out and everything. His conditioning has just been weird to me this year because when he's had a bad game or he's looked off, you know, it's been easy to kind of point to the officiating and the, the rule changes as his reason for not getting in a groove. Then he said it has it's been more of the um it's been more of the hamstring than the officiating that he's gone back and forth. Like it's like one is manipulated. I've I've come to believe that he's never um the hamstring, you know, he got over in the fall and then it became something else. And he kind of made the officiating rule change as part of his scapegoat for some of this. So I uh, I would say he came into training camp healthy, but not in shape. Okay. If, if that can be a thing. Sure. No, it just, it, it, it like I'm just... healthy, but like I could use a trip to the gym. You know what I mean? Like, right. Oh, well, that's, I mean, I think that's, you know, uh, an industry, like, this isn't to, Part of part of like rehabbing from it from a severe hamstring issue is that like it's hard to be in shape, especially in basketball shape, because you, you can't run. So like I, you can see how that would be, but then again, you know, he's all, also been a player who's never been particularly noted for sort of uh, the the sort of off court diligence, shall we say? Um, yeah. And I just on the like from a visible standpoint, he is he is at at no point this season had the burst which which sort of uh, characterized his his like his effectiveness. Like he's never been he's never been a jet, but he's been a guy with very with good short space acceleration. I mean the 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 comparisons with Luka Doncic are sort of tired, um, just but their their styles are somewhat similar in that the sort of the the quick acceleration and deceleration to to get the advantages that allowed him to draw the fouls it just seemed like those weren't happening as much this year and even his even when he was getting to the basket um, his sort of uh, poor finishing around the rim is on his inability to go from moving horizontally to vertically like those were those were visible to me um, and I, I, again I don't know if you agree but that it just seemed like he was diminished physically for whatever reason from where he has been in the past. I agree. Whether you want to call it age health, whatever, he just didn't look like what he, he usually is. And um, 
even at times, you know, he's supposed to be this guy built like a football player. Like, I thought he's had times this year where he struggled to take contact. And he used to, you know, in his prime with the Rockets, just kind of barrel right down the lane and get to the basket. And, and it seemed like he wasn't even absorbing contact well at times. Um, it's funny, you know, you, like we talk about looking back at the trade. I understand the contracts are supposed to be kind of like a reflection of what you just did instead of a projection forward. At no time this season or even last at the height of his powers in Brooklyn have I thought that James Harden is worth the full max, uh, all things considered. So I uh, I am very curious to see how it goes with Philly, assuming they give him the full max, because $60 million in the in your late 30s is going to be a tough contract. To, get. That, to me, that makes John Wall, Blake Griffin, Russell Westbrook, those contracts look like, you know, Chris Paul, if you want to say, but obviously he's doing very well in Phoenix, like, those contracts are going to be that contract is going to be very tough to move compared to those uh, if it gets to that point and he gets the full max. Well, all all Harden has to do is is become a vegan like like Chris Paul did, and then 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 maybe that that changes the math. Um, but <laughs> so, I mean, this, this, it's interesting you brought up last year because I thought, especially when he first came over, and maybe it was a honeymoon period. I thought he was ex- he was spectacular. For his Absolutely. first stint, he was brilliant, um, and and he he did like the big questions were which of these guys is going to adjust their games, and the guy who did it was 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 Harden, um, and and then this year it's been it I mean some of that is is obviously you know Kyrie's lack of availability, but it seemed like this year it was very much back to the to the uh, stationary ISO player, whereas last year was much more almost the uh, uh, traditional point guard plus version of, of James Harden. Um, is that, is that a reflection of, well, what is that a reflection of to, to, that you think? Is that just like the honeymoon wore off and, and kind of got back to what he wants to do? Or is it the, the physical or is it the, the roster around him or, or what, what happened there? Yeah. You know, I think he never, I, I think Philly, Given his relationship with Daryl Morey and the way he was treated there, I don't know if Philly ever went away, even though he didn't wind up there. And I definitely think the honeymoon, um, the honeymoon, and just some of the the vibes. Obviously, you know, it's, you know, him and Kyrie didn't seem to mesh, and maybe the the part of last season that we didn't that hasn't been talked about enough. But obviously, they only played sixteen games together in their entire time together. There was the Boston playoff series, and then there was the two games this year. And then before that, I think it's just eight games um, or nine, whatever it was. I think maybe them not being around each other a lot maybe helped because they they didn't get sick of each other or anything. They didn't realize, you know, that chemistry-wise, maybe it wasn't there because they never really got that extended run. So I've almost kind of, kind of, uh, kind of wondered in the past few weeks, like, was the blessing and the curse of last year is that they won without all three being around much, but as they start to get around each other more, maybe maybe it kind of became uh, it kind of came realized that yeah, this isn't really uh, this isn't really gonna work full time, and uh, and obviously that's separate from Kyrie's thing, but then the domino effect of everything else um, just kind of really made that more and more uh, evident. So, in in terms of that, is it is it the, is it 
is it basically that one leg of the stool, the the sort of the Harden and, and Kyrie leg that that was problematic, or was it was it uh, was it also Harden and KD, or even Kyrie and KD that that were were sort of having like that that friction? I mean, again, we've we've seen reporting today that that the Harden and, and KD relationship was strained, but it seems to me that that's that that's sort of a it's a knock-on effect of of the other thing, yeah. Rather than 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 like a than an oil and water situation. Yeah, I I definitely think that there's multiple uh, there's multiple dynamics at play in that. You know, Kevin and Kyrie signed up to play with each other, and then James was added on to the. You know, he he wasn't part of the original blueprint, obviously. And even though know, I remember Kevin saying on his podcast how. You know, when Kyrie went part went uh, was sidelined, he had to reconcile with loving the guy as a, as a friend and brother, but also wanting to play basketball with him. So I, I definitely think that there's been that he's kind of hinted at some some things they had to work through there. And I think that Kyrie and James didn't seem to mesh well, and um, and James's behavior obviously strained his relationship with with Kevin. So I, I think that there was kind of a group effort in that, that, you know, there was things happening on every front that, that kind of got them there. I do think the biggest what if, though, is if Kyrie is vaccinated and playing full time, are they able to kind of look past all these differences that uh, are, are outside noise, given that the, win- the level of winning they would be on and the fast track to the conference title and beyond? So I uh, I I. I think the biggest what if among a lot of people, especially talking about days, is, is if Kyrie was vaccinated, how much like are we even having a conversation right now? Yeah, forty and ten has a way of of smoothing things over. I think. Yes. Yes. So let's. I'm sort of I'm sort of glad you you brought up sort of hardened aging because that was a big part of why I really like the swap for them. Is I feel like. Um, Simmons is. A, I mean, there, there's very few players who are not good complements to. Kevin Durant, which is part of why I think he's the best player in the league, because he's basically like context proof in terms of building around him. But Simmons is a pretty good partner for him. And just from an age standpoint, seems like he's going to be a pretty good foil, pretty good partner for the remainder of, of Durant's Brooklyn contract. Um, so, okay, say that this year is, is maybe you know, this year's just kind of hopefully, hopefully, hopelessly jacked because it's, it's, you know, bad vibes all around and, and we'll come back and get him next year kind of thing. Um, do you see this as, as something that is a, a positive going forward? Like obviously the, the last year and a half has been what it's been, but going forward, it seems like they're very well set up to be a contender for three, four more years. I agree. And, and I also think that, you know, we'll see, who emerges, if anybody, from these young guys as time goes on? I mean, does Cam Thomas be a guy that could potentially uh, be a partner in crime alongside Simmons after, you know, the Kyrie and KD era were to end? Uh, same thing with some of these other guys like Claxton and whatnot. So I, I definitely think long-term, you know, Sean Marks has talked about, even before the Harden trade, he said how he didn't really want to mortgage the future and, um, and trade away a, a bounty of picks like the situation he came into. And I, I think, I think to an extent that he was telling the truth, even though he, his actions say otherwise, because he's from San Antonio, 
you know, they never did stuff like this when he was there. Obviously they, they built organically through the draft and continue to find diamonds in the rough and, and, you know, get good bang for bucks on free agent signings to where they, uh, they had a long run. So I, I think that the, there's definitely, if you want to look at the, the runway of, they have Ben Simmons at 25 for, um, for some of these, uh, for Kevin and, and Kyrie and, and this current team. And then maybe in a few years, depending upon how everyone ages and if he's happy and wants to stay long-term, then you could have him for another run of guys um, if, uh, if everyone develops well and they, they figure something out. Is that team down the road a, a title contender? I don't know. I mean, given the Nets history, a playoff team alone is an ex- a successful year for them historically. So I, uh, I think long-term, there's a lot to like with this. <laughs> I so let's let's talk about Sean Marks a little bit more. I you know it's sort of it, it's a very it's been a very interesting dynamic because he came into an organization that was basically as threadbare as just about we've ever seen, and kind of built a very like I'm using this words a lot, but a very like vibes forward team, and then that sort of gave them the platform to to sign to completely change that that sort of um, culture, but you get a chance to sign Kevin Durant, you do it. Um, and then, and then, you know, you get a chance to, to trade for James Harden, you do it. And then this other thing happens and he, and he pivots again. So I, I find myself being, you know, very impressed by how he's sort of handled his tenure. Um, but there's a, there's a, there's another way of looking at it that he's sort of just that, that, uh, um, in, in those terms, he's sort of along for the ride. Now he's obviously the one executing these deals, but where do you fall on that? Like I, again, I, I feel pretty strongly that he's done a, a, a very good job and, and changed his approach as circumstances dictated. But, you know, how in control of, of, of the situation do you think he is? It's a good question. I, I definitely think that he, um, he, he said before publicly that he consults Kevin and Kyrie and I'd, I'd be interested to see how much of a say Ben Simmons gets at the table compared to those two. Now I, I would doubt very little, um, especially until he starts producing, but um, that he runs a lot of stuff through them. So uh, some of the major decisions. So you know that, that Jake Fisher report today suggested that, um, that Sean, um, Sean, Seems but, to run but, a lot of this. Stu- Go ahead. Can I, can I, can I, that's, that, there's nothing unusual about that, by the way. Absolutely, no, absolutely. Like, I mean, that's what you have to do if you yeah. want to have these kind of guys. Absolutely. Yeah. So, and there, there are some guys who there are some guys who have stronger opinions, and some guys who are like, yeah, you know, that sounds good to me. And that's, and I, I think at this point in his career, Durant is probably more on the opinionated side, even if he's maybe not as direct with it as someone like LeBron might be. But yeah, so I mean, I think that that's that's to me that's wholly appropriate to to kind of you know talk to your star guys about you know what they want. That's you don't let them make the decisions, but you certainly take their opinion into account. Exactly. So I, I think he's in a, uh, a pretty good amount of control. I mean, you know, it, the other thing is, is that given the Nets contract situation, you know, with all these max guys in the books, you know, they're kind of limited in how they can upgrade the roster anyway. It's either the veteran minimum or the taxpayer exception if you don't have bird rights. So. I uh I and and clearly he's shown a knack throughout his career given the way he built the nets up of 
finding these guys that play over their value and all that, because that's kind of what they have to do for, um, I mean, look at LaMarcus Aldridge. He's a guy in the veteran minimum that's given them probably more than, than he's, uh, he's deserved, but granted he's made like 200 million in his career. So I think, I think that Sean's definitely in control despite, um, you know, the, the stars in the house. And I think that there's a good working relationship with Kevin and Sean. I mean, I would argue if there wasn't, Kevin wouldn't have given the full extension, got uh, signed for the full extension the way he did this off season. So I, I definitely think Sean's in control. And I, I think that, um, I think that he's done a very good job, all things considered, given the situation he inherited. And again, it could have been catastrophic if they let James walk for nothing. And, and the, the return he got in the trade, obviously, um, obviously hedges against some of that too. So there's uh time will tell obviously on a lot of that stuff ages, but I, I, I think he's done a great job. All things considered for sure. So you, you mentioned kind of getting, getting something from the, the sort of the fringe of the roster. That's, I think that's sort of an under underappreciated part of their season is that they, you know, for various reasons, obviously like LaMarcus Aldridge, Joe Harris have, have been hurt, have been hurt a lot, but they haven't quite got the level of play. Like Blake Griffin has been not nearly at the level he was last year. Patty Mills has been great, but Bruce Brown has been in and out of the rotation and they're, they've sort of, you know, They've they've kind of percolated, you know, Kessler Edwards and 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 Sharp and and whoever else through the rotation. But it seems like like those guys haven't quite been as effective as they were last year. And that feels like it's it's almost exacerbated things as much as anything. Like instead of it just we're we're kind of scuffling and making it through, it's like, oh man, a guy is out and we're hopeless because our our other guys aren't picking up the slack. Yeah, last year I thought that there was definitely, you know, you and I did the story on on Bruce Brown emerging as the short-rolling phenom, and last night he was like the point guard of Steve Nash's dreams where, you know, he, you know, we've talked about Harden kind of getting in a iso, iso ball and milking the shot clock and slowing down tempo, whereas Bruce Brown was getting out and running and feeding the perimeter guys and getting to the basket. Um you know, so there, there hasn't been to me a huge revelation like they had last year with like Bruce Brown and Nick Claxton. Um, you know, we've been joking about Bembry, but like I, I would argue that, you know, he was maybe the, the quote unquote diamond in the rough guy they had this year. But even so, like, you know, he, he's still limited in what he brings to the team when it's, you know, athleticism and, and defense mostly. So they uh, they've definitely had guys where Kessler Edwards has had his moments. You mentioned Dayron Sharp. Cam Thomas looked great against Miami, didn't play as much last night. Um, but I, I think it's been m- way more inconsistent this year than it was last year. I think Bruce Brown was very reliable last year. This year he's been in and out, as you mentioned. Jeff Green was, you know, he never got hurt last year. Him and Joe Harris were the two most reliable players probably. Um, Jeff Green is in Denver. Joe Harris has been injured since November. So I, I definitely think that that end of the bench uh, types of guys that aren't named, you know, Aldridge or Griffin, um, and obviously it's been a rough go for Blake, but those those newcomers, you know, James Johnson's another one that he's he's been in and out and, you know, had his highs and lows. There isn't really been those consistent bench guys that, like they did last year. And that feels like another another spot where just kind of the the lack of availability kind of um, hurts. It, it, I mean, before the season went off the rails uh, with with, you know, especially with 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 KD getting injured. 
Um, it seemed like Nash was kind of doing something that I've, I wish coaches would do more, which was sort of uh, mixing and matching those guys to see what, see which like combinations worked. Um, and you know that again, when you're winning, that looks like we're, we're doing some good experimentation when you're losing, it looks like you're searching. And so I don't know what to, um, I, I don't know what to make of that. Um, is, so like being around the team as much as you are, what, you know, what is the, the, the thought around the team about, you know, who their, I, I guess, fifth through ninth rotation guys are. If you, if, you know, at this point, I think you'd have to say it's, it's, you know, Durant, Kyrie, Simmons, and, and Patty Mills are, are sort of the, the mainstays. Um, but, but who else is, who else is slots into those other spots? And do they even know? Yeah, I, it's funny, you know, um, when they were in the middle of all the experimenting, I had a, an opposing coach tell me, um, just making small talk, how, you know, they've become tougher to scout because you never know who's going to play for them and sometimes in what role, given the way he's mixed it up. And I don't really blame Steve Nash for doing it. As you said, you know, the, the, the fans and some other people thought that he, what he was doing was, was I don't want to say ridiculous, but just um, just not – not the best, uh, not the best, not his best idea. But um, you know, he, his argument was continuity is out the window with all this these revolving lineups. We need to know what we have in time for the playoffs, and that's the goal. Is just like we might not stop doing this. We're gonna keep mixing it up, and what what we're gonna take note of what works and what doesn't, and kind of go from there. And so, um, to me, it's interesting because you know, given how. You know, even you look at their game in Miami on Saturday night where they nearly won. Cam Thomas went off. Kyrie went off. They got some good minutes out of Patty Mills and some other guys. Then you go to last night and they, they incorporate Seth Curry and Andre Drummond, both of whom look great. You know, Cam Thomas doesn't play as much. Kyrie's ineligible for that game. Patty Mills looks good. Um, so it, it's kind of interesting kind of projecting who's going to play and who's not when they're at full strength, just given the way this has all gone. So, like, I mean, I would argue at full strength their starting lineup is – Kyrie Simmons, um, Durant, Curry, and then I—I I guess I would go with Drummond as the starting center, and then so your bench would be, I guess Brown for defense, uh, Lamarcus Aldridge is seven, Nick Claxton would be eight, and I'm trying to think of who uh, Mills, right? Mills, I guess, would be your top nine, right? I'm trying, yeah, because um, that's a pretty. That's a, I gotta say that's a, that is again. The, the, with the if healthy caveat, that's a pretty good playoff top nine. Yes, and and I don't expect. I mean, no one seems to know what's happening with Joe Harris, but I, I given how long it's been, it doesn't seem to be going well. So I'm kind of factoring him out for now. Uh, I mean, you, you could not have found a better replacement for that for that role than yeah. than, than Seth Curry. Um, yeah, like if if they if they end up winning the title this year. I, I'll go out on a limb and say, if they if they go deep in the playoffs, even I'm going to go out on a limb and say that, that he's going to be a huge reason why. Yeah, I, I would argue too that him and Harris are different types of shooters, and I feel like Joe was very much catch and shoot and watching Curry last night. Like, I guess I would just say he's shifty. You know what I mean? He seems to have a good way of kind of uh, uh, dribbling and working the floor to kind of get to his spots, even if it means a step back or um, whatever he he has in mind. So he, I, I think that they have a good diversity of of shooters between him and Mills and, uh, and when Joe's healthy, obviously. Sure. So 
before we get out of here, and by the way, folks who are listening, if you got if you got uh, questions for Alex, uh, please you know, raise your hand and get you up on stage. Um, let's talk about defensively. How do you think that? I mean, does Steve Nash know how he wants to play defensively with this new roster, or or how do you envision that happening? Like again, we got to assume Simmons is out there, and 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 you know, I'll state up front that like Kevin Durant and Ben Simmons is a great foundation for a playoff defense but after that it's it like figuring out what works best is kind of interesting yeah i agree it's funny you know um talking to the guy i did last night who said how they he thought the return for harden was more than they were uh than than he would have expected he also said he goes you know um everyone talked about the nets last year as offense 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 and is the defense going to be good enough he thinks that the the biggest thing that come from the, the ben simmons trade is it gives them the potential to be pretty dang good on both ends at their best. Um, I agree that those two are definitely your starting points. You know, Bruce Brown, I think, is a great on-ball defender. You know, I, I think they're still going to be switch-heavy, and I think Ben Simmons plays very well into that given, um, given you know, his length and, and his versatility at guarding multiple positions. I, I think that, you know, Steve has kind of adopted Mike D'Antoni's switch-everything defense from Houston – um, and it, it's worked well enough for them. Kessler Edwards has guarded well. The the guy I kind of wonder about of you know they they haven't really had a closing lineup because of all the attrition. But do you put Kevin Durant, Simmons, and Claxton on the floor together at the same time? Given how well Claxton guards, but that's a lot of that's a lot of bigs. Um, just given given their size, you know they don't have they the thing they they could have used at the deadline that I don't know how they would have gotten really without maybe trading Joe Harris is like. They could use a, a good wing defender. And, and Bembry, I think, was a decent one, but I wouldn't say he's elite. And I don't really know who ha- they have on the roster right now that kind of fills that void. So. But I they, think that you start. I, again, you, you start like, with Ben Simmons. I think you're going to. Yeah. yeah. Ben, well, Ben Simmons and, and, frankly, Kevin Durant. I mean, he, yeah. you know, like this is that's sort of one of the, the, like, Kevin Durant is a good regular season defensive player. And like it's been a, a characteristic of his career that he becomes an elite defensive player in the playoffs. Yeah, and and even like even against the Bucks last year when he was you know doing everything on offense, he was pretty impactful defensively as well in that series. So again, that's um, I guess I guess it my my uh, optimism about this Nets team just comes down to the fact that that. Kevin Durant is awesome, um, <laughs> but yeah. Um, let me see. I got Nick here for a question. Let's let's get him up here and uh, and uh, take take that question. Maybe one or two more, and then we'll let you get out of here. Yeah. Nick, uh, how you doing? Hey, how's it going, guys? Good. Uh, What's yeah, up? Thanks for taking the time. It's kind of like a two prong question. Uh, that's piggybacking off what you guys were just talking about is. With a player like Simmons and a player like Seth Curry, uh, I, I always look at them as players who are like significantly better regular season contributors than, but with like postseason weaknesses. In Curry's case of being a small guard who can be hunted, in Simmons, uh, yeah, duh. Um, and but I was wondering if, like, for as great as Durant and Kyrie are, part of what makes them so great is that they are have like these skill sets and lack of weaknesses that are much more valuable against the league competition in the playoffs. So I was wondering if like looking in the long term, if Simmons is able to 
do that thing he famously did at the end of his rookie season, uh, where they the Sixers just like destroyed all these bad teams because he could just like kick out the shooters. If maybe in the long term it'll be a way to keep some mileage off them. But similarly, like does that do they maybe have like not the same gear they might have had with Harden originally? You want to start, Seth, or? Yeah, I, I think it's interesting because I, I definitely think that where the, the trade-off kind of comes is is that I think Harden's a better scorer than Simmons, but I think Simmons is better at spacing the floor and, and playmaking and, and getting out in transition. It kind of fits more of the offensive identity Steve Nash wants them to have, kind of like his son's teams of uh, of playing with tempo, getting shots off quickly, et cetera. And, uh, and I think definitely defensively, you know, I, and, and I, I think, I mean, the thing that I'm curious to see whenever they get healthy is how does Steve Nash kind of stagger these guys? You know, I mean, with, with the old big three, I guess we'll call them, you know, he had the luxury of kind of having three guys that could give you a little bit of everything um, offensively and could stagger them and, and kind of change his rotations and lineups to give them, you know, good complimentary pieces. Obviously, Simmons is a bit different than the other two. So I, I definitely think that offensively their ceiling might be a little lower, but um, but the trade-off, is, as Seth was kind of saying, is defensively uh, their their ceiling is higher. So I, I'm how how it looks when when he's healthy and when it, well when he's active and when when they're all out there is going to be interesting to kind of see how this plays out because I've had similar thoughts to you on that. It's an interesting question, and I'm glad you brought up sort of the playoff weaknesses part. Um, I don't think we've ever seen Simmons in any sort of idealized role in the playoffs. Um, I think that his best offensive role isn't as a primary ball handler necessarily. It's, um, you know, Draymond Green at this point in his career can't shoot. Um, but he's, but he is, he creates space and movement at a very high level for, for Golden State. Now, I'm not saying that Ben Simmons is Draymond Green, but you're getting a like a B version of that with Simmons at his best. And I think that's a pretty that, – that with, you know, elite talent around him, and this is by far the best kind of perimeter creation that Simmons has had around him. I mean, even including maybe, you know, the one, the one kind of Jimmy Butler playoff run. Like, Jimmy Butler is – it's funny. He's almost he's almost duplicative of 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 Simmons from an offensive standpoint. Um, so allowing him to slide into that sort of super connector role, um, I think is is a very interesting, going to be a very interesting look. And then uh, then you know obviously the the defensive aspect of it. Um, but yeah, I think that I think there are there there is some benefit also to you know you get to if you you know you can probably extend Katie's minutes a little bit more if. 15 of those minutes are him being a spot up shooter. Um, yeah. So that, I think that's a, that is a potential big positive. If I could throw one more thing in there, you know, Ben Simmons had a very specific role also in his opinion in Philadelphia. And it's going to be interesting to see, you know, he said today all the right things, but still saying and doing are two different things. I mean, how is he used off the ball? How, how do they get, you know, I think that he, we talked about the Bruce Brown short role, I think he would be tremendous in that role in the offense um, if the Nets elect to use him that way and he's open to it. So I, I think 
I'm very curious to see how you know Ben Simmons kind of embraces this new role because he, he this is going to be a lot different than it was in Philly. And given the way he likes being the point guard and the main ball handler in Philly, and how he you know he could be off the ball a lot more, um, that's going to be very interesting for me to kind of see how that plays out, just given what what we know about. And just to to finish up on this, and, and thanks a lot for the question, Nick. Um, you know, pe- pe- people worry about like what Simmons gives off the ball. Um, it's not like it's not like the non honeymoon period, James Harden. Is, it gives much off the ball, and that's and so that's you know what are you losing? I mean, I guess Harden is theoretically a good spacer, but he doesn't he doesn't he's he's not a guy who's super willing to spot up and take you know catch and shoot threes. So yeah, it's it's a difference of it's a difference in degree for a guy you just don't have to guard. But I think Simmons is going to be much more active in terms of movement off the ball. So yeah, it's, I mean, it, it like, I don't want to oversell it, but it's like, it's, it's hard to say you're going to get less off the ball <laughs> than you did with, you know, kind of the version of Harden we'd seen this year. Yeah. Did he have a second question or was that it? I thought it was a, I thought it was a two parter and we got to it. Um, okay. Anything else that's uh, like, I to looking at the time and wanting to get you out of here in a couple minutes, anything else that, uh, you feel is important for people to know about kind of what's gone down in the, in the last, you know, week plus in, 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 in the Nets world. It's a good question. I, I think the, the main thing is I'm, it, to me after the all-star break, it's going to be very interesting to see how quickly they get this team together, what they look like. Um, and how much of a runway they have to, to both dig themselves out of this home standings and, um, and, what they look like as a, as a full unit. Um, you know, you've said how a lot of this is on Kevin Durant being awesome, which I wholeheartedly agree with, but, uh, but you know, I, I think overburdening him obviously isn't ideal either. So how they kind of figure this out and what it all looks like, I'm, I'm going to be paying attention to. And, uh, and also just kind of what we've talked about earlier about the rotations and who's in and out. Um, and and even looking a little more ahead in free agency, just kind of who stays and who goes, and how they kind of try to build around this new big three uh, going forward as well. So I uh, I don't think there's a uh, a shortage on storylines and uh, and questions once uh, once they get going. That that makes for an easy rest of the year for you in some ways. Um, yeah, you will have to pick me up off the floor after some of the league. <laughs> Easily. So the the last question I have is 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 there any indication that that like Durant is going to be able to do anything on the floor at all? Kind of. I'm I'm just thinking that the All Star break actually comes at a very good time for them. Um, the practices coming out of All Star break, and I think they're. Am I wrong that their first game out of uh, out of the break is here? It's in Milwaukee on on the Saturday after. No, they have the Celtics okay, and then Milwaukee. Right. Okay, but so those those practices coming out of the break are are going to be as about as important regular season practices as we've seen in a while in in the league, especially if even just getting Durant out there to to you know shadow through stuff. Yeah, I I agree completely. We'll see. Durant said he's back on the court and he's building up. You know, Simmons has said that he's trending in the right direction. Obviously, Kyrie is healthy. It's just uh, it's just 
uh, he's ineligible until the Milwaukee game. So I would like to think, I don't want to speak for the Nets here, but I would like to think that they want everybody healthy for that Milwaukee series game, given that I think it's maybe one of the better indications of how they kind of stack up with this new look team to a fellow contender and the defending champs. Uh, selfishly, I root for them to be healthy for that game because I, I will uh, I will greatly enjoy covering that game and uh, with with all three of them rather than just being two of them or, or one of them. So I uh, I I think if they're not all there for that game. Uh, then it's going to be interesting. Well, then when, if if not then, when? That that game will also be interesting if all three of them play. Um, if for no other reason than um, Giannis uh, has had some choice words for Ben Simmons in the past. So um, I, that, that that's always an interesting subject. Has he? I heard they're best friends. <laughs> um uh, that's that's an interpretation. Maybe maybe it was, maybe maybe uh, the things that were yelled on the court were meant with love, but yeah. I don't think so. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, well, I think it's it's about time to wrap up here. So first of all, thanks a lot for for taking the time. I know it's been a uh, it's been a crazy four or five days for you, and there's still plenty more to come. So appreciate uh, taking the time out of a busy day and come and chat with me about this. No, I appreciate you having me, man. All right. Well, if nothing else, I'll probably see you uh, in in about two weeks when the yeah. when the uh, when the showdown happens here. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. All right. Thanks a lot, and thanks everyone for listening. Um, I'm back tomorrow, and I, I believe I have uh, Ben Thompson of Stratechery on uh, to talk um, kind of sports and technology. Uh, be back then. Thanks a lot for listening.